This is More to the Point Audio with Russell Moore. Proclamation and conversation about the kingdom of Christ. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'd like for us to read beginning with verse 1 and read on down through verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 2 as Paul is writing to Timothy, the man that he had discipled and mentored from Paul's prison cell in Rome. And he says these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words right now this morning, we understand that they are not chained. And so, Father, this word has the freedom to move forward into every place in this room and every place in this city and every place in this country and every place in this world. And there is not a sword, there is not a court order, there is not a machine gun, there is not a military, and there is not a human heart that can withstand it. And so, Father, we pray this morning that your word would go forward with power, and we pray, Father, that that word would show us the power and the glory and the mercy and the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Right now, while we are gathered here, we have a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ that probably no one in this room has ever met. Probably no one in this room could even identify a picture of who is somewhere right now in a jail cell in Afghanistan awaiting an order to execute him. And the crime that our brother has committed that he's being charged with by his government, a government that only exists and only is surviving to this day because of the strength of the United States military sending back Taliban forces. His crime is the fact that he has announced exactly what these two men have announced in the waters of this baptistry, Jesus Christ is Lord. And because he has turned from Islam to faith in the Lord Jesus, 
He is being charged with breaking the law, breaking a law that is a capital offense, and he may well, in the next several days or weeks, lose his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that his situation in the history of the church is not the oddity. Our situation in the history of the church is the oddity. It is not a strange thing that the enemies of the gospel should see the gospel of Jesus Christ as a threat, a threat that ought to be silenced at the point of the sword. What is the oddity is that other enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ would see the gospel as no threat at all. Precisely because that gospel has been muted. The Apostle Paul, though, knows everything of what it means to wait in a jail cell waiting for execution. He understands and knows as he is writing out these words that we have just read a few minutes ago that it will only be a matter of time before the guard comes and says to him, come with me. It will only be a matter of time until he will feel his head being placed upon a stone block. It will only be a matter of time until he hears an axe cutting a cord. And it will only be a matter of time until his head is rolling in a pile of blood. That is what Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian has faced throughout the history of the world. And it is perhaps what Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian will face in the years to come. But what is the apostolic word when it comes to this kind of suffering? He speaks a word to Timothy that is not a word of personal whining. It is not a word of personal anxiety. And it certainly is not a word of how could God allow this to happen to me? How could this have taken place? Instead, Paul writes in his weakness and in his chains with a word of power and a word of strength to this young man who is facing his own kind of suffering. He is not arrested. He is not facing execution. But he's facing a church that is in turmoil. He's facing a church in which false teachers have come in and they are bringing in with them something other than the gospel that he has received. He's living in a culture in which the people on the outside of the culture find Christianity to be offensive and repulsive and just downright weird. And Paul writes to him, and in from the dungeon, Paul says, be strong. Now, there's some of you in this room that are facing small little tremors of suffering. Some of you have lost parents or lost children or lost grandchildren. It's breaking your heart. Some of you have medical situations that are coming against you that cause you to become very fearful and anxious. Some of you are in economic situations that, that seem very threatening to you as you look at the future. 
Some of you face hostility from coworkers or from family members. Some of you face any number of ways in which we can suffer. What the Apostle Paul is saying is whether the suffering is small or whether the suffering is great, be strong in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, let's notice first of all, that Paul here says that the strengthening grace of Jesus Christ entrusts the teaching of his word. Notice in verse 1, he writes here to Timothy and he says, I want you to be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus. And he speaks to him as my child, as my son, the kind of language that Paul continually uses of Timothy. This is someone that Paul sees not just as another brother in Christ, not just as another Christian, and certainly not just as another person. This is his child in the faith, someone that he not only led to faith in Christ, but someone that he had poured his life and his ministry in. You heard the gospel from me. You grew in the gospel with me. You went with me as I went about strengthening the churches, he says of Timothy. This is his child. Why, Timothy is the very one that when the churches were suspicious of him because he had not been circumcised, Paul even circumcised Timothy in order that he might be free to carry the gospel forward without offense into those churches. He speaks of Timothy with this sense of worry combined with affection that any parent understands. I can look out here and see people that I've baptized or people that I've counseled through difficult situations, people that I've mentored and discipled, people that I've poured my life into, and that brings with it a special kind of affection and a special kind of bond. Nobody in here that I've circumcised. Don't plan to do that. <laughs> Don't worry, visitors. But there was, this, there was this affection that he has toward Timothy. He says, my child, I want you not to be weak. I want you to be strong. And the way that he wants that strength to be manifest is first of all in his teaching. He says, what you have heard from me, it matters what is taught. It matters what is communicated. It matters what goes forward. He says, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, perhaps at Timothy's baptism, similar to what has just happened here or, or in which Timothy would have made that good confession of the gospel. Or maybe it was at Timothy's ordination when there was the laying on of hands upon him. Or, or maybe Paul just simply means the way that the gospel was going forward among the whole community of the church. He says, what you have heard me teach, I want you to cling to it. I want you to hold on to it. And not only that, he says, I want you to entrust to faithful men. The gospel must go forward. The gospel must continue as the gospel is given to the next generation by raising up those who cling to the same gospel. And not only that, he says, who are able to teach others also. Notice what is foremost on Paul's mind as he is going through suffering. What is foremost on his mind is not his suffering. 
What is foremost on his mind is the mission of Christ. I was just in a hospital room with a friend of mine the other day who has cancer. The doctors have told him he probably doesn't have very many more days to live. And it was a a shocking thing to walk in and to see him bloated up from all the medicine, covered in, in scales as his skin is drying out. But the most shocking thing to me as I sat down next to his bedside was the fact that he did not act the way that you would expect a man that young who has been told you are going to die to act. He was smiling and ebullient and he wanted to talk about heaven and about what the new heavens and the new earth would be like. And I said to him at one point, I'm just so encouraged uh, and, and it's a blessing to me to see you looking at death this way. And he said, why would I respond any other way? He said, what in the world do I have to complain about? He said, would I have asked for another 30 years? Sure. But here I am. There's my wife. She knows I love her. I know she loves me. My children are here. They know that I love them. I know that they love me. I have no fear of death because Jesus has promised me everlasting life. And I know that the minute that I go out into that darkness, he's going to be with me and he's going to carry me over to the other side, to that inheritance that he's given to me. Why would I have any reason to be anything but joyful? That's unusual. And that's not natural. That is coming from the power of the Holy Spirit. When I left that room, the first thing that I could think is to say, please, please, Lord, let me die like that. Paul is writing to Timothy and he is not consumed with his own suffering. He is not consumed with his own coming death. He is consumed with the very thing that has consumed him from the very beginning, which is seeing that the mission of Jesus continue throughout the nations and all over the world, even in his absence. He says, entrust that gospel that I gave to you to faithful men who will be able to teach others. He is thinking through the generations that is to come. That is what the grace of Jesus does in suffering. You will find yourself weak in suffering and this congregation will find ourselves weak in suffering the minute that we begin to focus on the suffering rather than on the mission and going forward. The minute that we stop seeing the Lord Jesus calling out men in this congregation for the task of preaching and teaching the gospel to the nations is a deadly dangerous sign. And the minute that you as an individual Stop losing your focus on the mission as it is going forward and start being consumed with yourself. There is a deadly, dangerous sign. He says, the grace that strengthens entrusts the word to go forward. It entrusts that teaching and preaching word. But not only that, he says the strengthening grace of Jesus also endures this personal hardship. Notice in verse 3, 
Paul writes to Timothy and says, share in this suffering. And then he uses here three metaphors of what it means to suffer. He says, I want you to suffer with me. Now, Timothy is a frail little sensitive soul. Paul's continually having to say to him, come on, don't, don't worry. Stop being upset. Take a little wine. You're getting these ulcers because you're worrying all the time. Stop being so uh, fearful and fraidy cat all the time. So now Paul's writing to him and says, yeah, I'm chained to a wall about to have my head cut off. Come on and do it with me. And Timothy's probably, ooh. He said, no, no, no. He said, listen to me. Three metaphors. He says, I want you to share in this suffering as a good soldier. He says, like a good soldier of Jesus, suffer with me. And then he tells him what he means in verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. And now you go to any military base. I served a congregation, wonderful, wonderful time in our lives, serving a congregation of people that were entirely Air Force, either active duty or retired, right down the street from an Air Force base. And one of the things that always struck me is as I was riding into the Air Force base every day, there are all of these businesses outside of the gates, pornography shops and tattoo parlors and bars and honky-tonks all over the place out there beckoning for these men. Come on in here. Come on into these places. But the minute that you get inside that Air Force base, there aren't any tattoo parlors. There aren't any strip clubs. There aren't any pornography shops. Why? There is such a difference between the outside and the inside because the inside is disciplined. There is a purpose. He says, no soldier gets entangled in all of these civilian pursuits because he has got a focus. He wants to please the one that has enlisted him. Some of you have children, and some of you have been this way yourself. Wild as deers, unable to get up out of the bed in the morning, can't get your life together. And what has happened to some of those people? What has happened to some of you? You find yourself joining the Marines, find yourself joining the Air Force or the Army or the Navy, and you find yourself in an entirely different kind of world. Nobody is nagging you about the fact that you didn't pull your sorry self out of the bed until 10, 10.30 in the morning. Nobody's worrying about that because you are going to do it. You are not going to lay up in the bed until 10 o'clock in the morning. You are not going to stand there and whine to the commanding officer. I just don't like the way you're talking to me. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you're going to get with it or you're going to get out because they don't have time for those who aren't disciplined. If you cannot discipline yourself in training and in preparation, then you will not have the discipline that you need to defend your country in warfare. He says, Timothy... Like a soldier, you need to put yourself in the mindset and in the training and in the focus and in the lack of distraction of somebody who is ready to suffer. My brother is a Marine. And when we're all in my parents' house around Christmas time, you walk even by my brother's door. 
I mean, you can walk just as quietly as you want to, and he is immediately jumping up. And I'm, I'm afraid one day I'm going to come too near to that door. He's going to take me down. Why? He's trained and disciplined for a task. He says, all of us are in the gospel. He says, Timothy, you get yourself ready for suffering like a soldier and stop getting all entangled in all of these other concerns. Whether or not you're being criticized, whether or not you're having opposition, whether or not you're going to be arrested, whether or not you're going to be killed, that's not your focus. Focus on the gospel and on the mission like a good soldier. He says, and then he uses the the analogy here of an athlete. Verse 5, he says, an athlete is not crowned. He's using language here that the whole Greco-Roman world would have understood of the Olympics. That an athlete, somebody who gets all the glory and the honor of winning at an athletic competition, only receives that prize. He only receives that crown if he has worked and operated according to the rules. You also have a sense of discipline there. I have a friend who was a basketball coach for a short period of time, and when he first got there, the basketball team was terrible, embarrassingly terrible. He and I were at a donut shop, and a guy got up from the table and went to the, the cash register to ask for a donut, and he was winded from getting from the table to the, the cashier and said, can I have another donut and maybe some coffee? And he went back. And my friend said, he plays on my basketball team. <laughs> That'll help you to pray for me. That's exactly what I've got to work with right now. An athlete, Paul says, is somebody who is disciplining himself for the task. And part of what that discipline means is that he is competing, he says. He is playing according to the rules. Now, we all can understand that very well. You go out here and watch these five-year-olds like mine playing in upward basketball right over here in this gym, and you're going to see all kinds of things. You're going to see these kids who they don't know what they're doing. They'll just grab the basketball, and they'll just carry it in their arms and run down to the other side and make a goal in the other team's goal. That's okay. They're five years old. They're cute, and everything's fine. If that happens in an NBA game... Something else is going to take place. Nobody's going to say, well, bless his heart, ain't he cute? (laughs) You got to compete according to the rules. And not only that, Timothy would have understood that anybody who is found to be competing apart from the rules is a disgrace. Far more than what you and I would sense when an athlete comes crashing down because of a steroid scandal or a sex scandal or a gambling scandal or something like that. An athlete who is participating and cheating in an Olympic game, his entire family would be so disgraced by that that they would practically have to go into hiding. He says, you understand this. An athlete does not receive his crown unless he competes according to the rules. And Timothy, part of what the rules are in following after Jesus is taking up your cross and enduring that suffering. And then he uses this imagery of a farmer. He says, not only that, verse 6, 
a hard-working farmer is the one who has the first share in the crops. Everybody understood. You put the seed into the ground. You put the water there. You patiently work the ground. Now that becomes your crop. Somebody who just comes along and throws a seed down and leaves and takes off for Florida isn't going to be able to come back and reap a harvest unless it's something wild, not something that you bring forward with the sweat of your brow. He says that's exactly what's going on in the gospel. In order to see the fruit and in order to see the harvest, you have to endure those times in which it seems as though nothing is happening. If you're standing around with your crop and saying, I wanted corn and all I have are these little green things in the ground, you're an idiot. Somebody's going to come along and say to you, well, in order for it to be corn, you've got to still be out here working it every day. It's going to take until harvest to get it. He says, Timothy, you see this, you understand this, so you need to be strong in the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus. And then notice finally, he says, this strengthening grace of Jesus remembers the truth of the gospel. Look at what Paul says. He says, remember Jesus Christ. That word remember there isn't you've forgotten this, so let me remind you. It's not as though Timothy is saying, Jesus Christ, oh, forgot all about him. Pretty important figure in the Bible. No, he says, put your focus on, fix your attention on, call to your memory constantly Jesus Christ, the one that has saved you, the offspring of David, the one that all of those promises are pointing to, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Why is he saying this to Timothy? He says, in order for you to endure suffering, you need to remember that the gospel came to you through suffering. Jesus is the offspring of David. Thousands of years went by waiting for the promise to be revealed. Jesus Christ is raised from what? From the dead. Jesus suffered and bled and died for you. Why would you be exempted from suffering when the Lord Jesus was not exempted from suffering? Some of us may say, oh, I've got got family members that don't believe the gospel. Where are you, God? Jesus had family members who didn't believe the gospel. Jesus had family members who said that he was possessed by a demon. Some of us say, oh, I've got this illness. I I might even die. Jesus died. Jesus was beaten, had his hair pulled out, spit upon. Some of us say, oh, I just feel like the culture is darkening around me and I'm really worried and fearful about the spread of Christianity. It don't get much darker. It doesn't. I'm sorry. I'm (laughs) reverting back to Mississippi. It does not get much darker than crucifixion. He says, remember Jesus Christ and remember the gospel that you have believed. And he says, remember that it is for that gospel that I am suffering. I am bound with chains as a criminal. No one in this room 
is bound with chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there may be children in that nursery who will one day be bound with chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are brothers and sisters all over the world in Afghanistan and Sudan and Yemen and North Korea who are bound with chains right now for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The response to that, Paul says, isn't a sense of fearfulness or a sense of anxiety or a sense of, oh, everything is running off track. Paul says, no, 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 remember this. The word of God is not chained. Our brother in Afghanistan, they may cut his head off. They may cut his head off this morning and they may post it up on the internet as a word of warning to the entire world. Don't you leave Islam for Jesus or this will happen to you. And behind them, of course, is a dark and malevolent evil power that has been at work since the very beginning of the gospel itself. And I have to say to you, evil spirits, that you are not only evil, but you are also stupid. Because if you believe that you can silence the gospel of Jesus Christ by beheading or crucifying or dragging through the streets people who identify with Jesus, you have no idea how you are hastening your own destruction. Look at the book of Acts. How did that work out for you? The gospel marches on. Every time that a man of God or a woman of God endures the cross that is put upon him, put upon her, whether that cross is something that is as relatively small as cancer or heart disease or prodigal children or relatively large like crucifixion and public whipping and execution and beheading. Wherever a Christian endures suffering and wherever the gospel has the forces opposed to it, running into it with fury, the gospel always spreads. Why? Because demonic powers, if you think that people are going to stay away from the gospel because it brings a cross, that you do not understand what the gospel is. The gospel does not simply bid Islamic people in Afghanistan to come and die. The gospel bids people in Louisville, Kentucky, and London, England, and Sydney, Australia, and everywhere. Come and die. That's what the gospel is. He says the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not bound. And so what does that mean? That means that I endure everything, he says, for the sake of the elect. I endure everything for the sake of those who will believe. Some of you may find yourself in a place 
in which you are being told, deny the name of the Lord Jesus and you can leave out of here quietly and no one will mess with you and you can die quietly in a nursing home. What an awful thing that is. What an awful reality that is. The power and the strength comes in saying, no matter what you do to me, Jesus Christ is Lord. But there are others of us who are going to be asked to suffer much, much smaller things. We're going to be asked to be in a hospital room dying of cancer. And to do so not as the pagans do who have no hope. But to do so as those who will say, yea, though he kill me, Jesus Christ is Lord. Man, I visited in the hospital the other day, said repeatedly, Jesus is Lord, period. Jesus is Lord not just when I'm well. Jesus is Lord not just when I'm walking. Jesus is Lord not just when I have 30 more years of future. Jesus is Lord, period. Our brother in Afghanistan this morning, I pray by the grace of God, is waiting for those footsteps outside of his cell, understanding Jesus Christ is Lord, not simply where the gospel is legal. Jesus Christ is Lord, not simply where the gospel is welcome. Jesus Christ is Lord, period. And those of us in this room who are enduring whatever suffering the Lord has given to you, whatever suffering the Lord has given to me, I pray that we are strengthened as we remember the gospel with the reality that Jesus Christ is not simply Lord when everything is following down the path that we expected it to go. Jesus Christ is Lord. Be strong then, he says, in the gospel. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? There may be some of you this morning... who have never grabbed hold of that word that's been passed down through the centuries. You've never publicly identified yourself with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe it's just never occurred to you. If that's you, and you are ready to walk in newness of life, to be forgiven of your sins, to confess Jesus as Lord, to believe that he was crucified for you, to believe that he was raised for you and to walk in to follow in whatever direction he sends you. In just a minute, we're going to sing and I'm going to be down here. There are going to be other men and women here who can talk with you and, and pray with you. Just slip right out and take one of us by the hand and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be strong. I'm ready to follow. Maybe others of you that there's some area of obedience in your life that the Lord is calling you to. Maybe it's to baptism. Maybe it's to accountability within this church. Maybe it's to some area of service. Come and and let us pray with you as well. Maybe others of you in this room who are fearful. There's something going on in your life. There's some opposition. There's some sickness. There's some financial pressure. There's something that is, is causing you to be fearful. Come and gather with someone here or pray here at this platform by yourself. But let's pray together. Be strong. 
Holy Father, I pray right now that whatever it is that you're calling us toward is persons, whatever you're calling us toward as a church, Father, I just pray that you would do that right now. And Father, whatever embarrassment somebody has and whatever fear somebody has and whatever pride somebody has, Lord, would you just knock that out of the way and give them freedom? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to More to the Point Audio. For other resources, check out our website at www.russellmore.com. Thank you.